0: bear
1: you're a pro you're a pro bear yeah yeah'm I'm, I'm pro bear
0: um uh, have you have you done anything to help the bear community whether that means do you take that to me whatever you want
1: depends I don't know there may be more than one bear community but uh you know there, there are more bear.
0: than one bear community you know the 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 physical bears like these <laughs> bear like the, the animals are quite racist are you familiar with this amongst each other
1: Yeah. They're theft.
0: Yeah. Like they're like the, the black bears really don't like the Brown bears and the Brown bears and the white bears don't like each other. It's very, (laughs) it's it's analogous to humanity in many respects. Uh, Like the polar bears, they live on their own. It's sequestered in the North. The black bears live down South. And then the Brown bears sort of live out West. Um, Eating tacos or whatever they're doing.
1: (laughs) I don't know if you see behind me there, but there's actually a bear on my desk.
0: Oh, yeah. bear with the word gravy written on it. And it looks like a mallet and a tuning fork.
1: Oh, yeah. Giant tuning fork.
0: What is that? Is that 440
1: hertz? This is not 440 hertz. This is 384. Is that a special number? It's a G note.
0: It's it's is is it like a pure G note in the? um, uh, What's the one that's like real and not the one that's like the equal temperament?
1: Right. It's uh. It's four thirty two. If A was four thirty two, a G could be three eighty four.
0: Right. Okay. So you're so okay. So tell me about. So I guess you're in the um, Owen Benjamin at large circle. Is that correct? I
1: consider myself friends with the Big Bear. I listen to his streams a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah cuz you have a bear with gravy on it that's tends to move. My bear is not related, it's just a it just is a bear, but it could be. I'm not I'm not I am I am fine with Owen. I'm not uh, I'm not in a war with Owen. I never log on to his <laughs> streams because um I know I have my own self-awareness enough to know that if I were to um be in the chat room I would get myself banned for life. I've listened to it because <laughs> I'd say, what are you talking about? Oh, and this is crazy. That's dumb. And he'd go, ah, you're banned." So I don't even bother. I respect, I respect the boundary, but no, I would cross it. So I, so I just say, you know, cause I would want to be too, too friendly, too quickly.
1: No, you your know your limits. I,
0: mean? I know the limits. Uh, so, okay. So you're, you're, uh, this is everyone mystical American Patriot side. Have you heard of our podcast before?
1: The mystical Not that you American guys Patricite. invited me, but, um, Looking forward to it. It sounded like uh, a lot of whimsical fun.
0: Yeah, it is. We've had a we've had a long history uh, of three ish years in which one co-host sadly died. I had to kill him on air. Uh, that was sad. I got a new co-host in. Um, he was started as a clone of the previous one, but he's since developed his own personality. Um, and we have been. Uh, This show was sort of started as trying to find, I don't know, I don't know why it started. We just had a lot to talk about, I suppose. Uh, The world seemed insane and we tried to make sense of it. Uh, I think we did a good, a good, we had a good run at trying to do that. And I think you sort of came from a similar place, trying to make sense of the world. that seemed insane. So you started a show. Is that accurate?
1: Well, the making sense of the insanity kind of came later. My initial goal was to just capture that flow state that comes about whenever two people are conversing about their passion and endeavors. And, you know, the idea was everybody everywhere knows something or has had some epiphany, probably multiple that nobody else has ever thought in human history or realized it ever at any point. So I wanted to get that but, of course, in the process, you learn things, you develop curiosities. I kind of started off as more like a, a, a trippy festival kid. And yeah, yeah, now yeah. I'm more into linguistics and and energy healing <laughs> and yeah. uh, mythology, symbolism.
0: So you were like a sort of a, maybe not Burning Man per se, but Burning Man adjacent sort of guy.
1: Too poor for Burning Man.
0: Too poor, yeah. But you would have, <laughs> if you would have liked, if you had the money.
1: I don't, know, to, I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to go die in a desert.
0: Yeah. The, the, you know, the, uh, the cheapest, a lot of people don't know this. The cheapest version of, of Burning Man you can go to in festival culture is actually the Talladega Speedway during the race day. Cause the people, the people go there and you think it's about racing, but it's just basically a redneck orgy. <laughs> if you've ever, if you've ever been to a, a NASCAR race. And the biggest one is the Talladega and they go out there and they just it's just tense uh, country music and people dying in tents from overdoses and and, and orgies.
1: It's, it's wow. It's, so it's, every it's, subculture has their own version. Sounds like
0: every subculture has their own version. you got you can have Fire Island. You can have Talladega. You can have Burning Man. Renaissance Fairs. Renaissance Fairs. They get uh, a the gathering of the Juggalos any anyone you want every every cult subculture has their version of the of the orgy in the field
1: well you know since we were talking about the bear community around Owen Benjamin I was at their festival in September and I didn't even catch a whiff of butthole smell or sex or orgies or anything everybody was sober and it was yeah. actually more fun
0: yeah I've never I've never been a substance person I they just I don't even claim that as like a superiority thing I just have never liked them like I don't understand how anyone ever got hooked on pain pills the few times I've taken pain pills I like I want I would rather be in pain than whatever this is doing to me I don't understand how the appeal
1: but some people really like in high school I had to get surgery on a a knee injury when I was a 17 year old and they gave me these like opioids or whatever I think it was I don't know the one that starts with a C. And I took one of them and then right. I was like, I could make 20 bucks a pill selling these to my schoolmates. So I just did yeah.
0: that. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's way more yeah. worth it.
0: Right. I've never enjoyed any of that. I've never, I didn't, not that I was against alcohol. I just didn't like the taste of it enough to push through to the enjoyment of the inebriation. I was like, this tastes awful. Never
1: well, the enjoyed thing about it I- is like the, the more intoxicated you are, the closer you are to death.
0: Yeah exactly which i think is the i think that's the there's a little bit in substance abuse which is like a it's like a testing the waters of suicide <laughs> that's sort of what it, like people are like maybe it will kill me this time maybe if i have some sleeping pills and i won't wake up and people just sort of like they're not willing to commit cuz doing suicide is really you got to commit
1: you know a lot yeah, of people they, are they prefer more less permanent forms of self destruction you know yes, that with yes. with addict people, even if they're not currently addicted to the terrible thing that they will just eventually spiral and self-destruct in some other way, like socially, because yeah. I don't know. There's like that. I consider life to be kind of like an infinite game of shoots and ladders where you're mm-hmm. either climbing the ladder or wee down the slide. And then some people just can't get off the slide.
0: They can't. Yeah, I've, I've said before, I think the most accurate game for the analogy to life is probably uh Super Mario Party. Because <laughs> you can be you can be like five stars ahead and then the game will just give the other person the win somehow. And you get seven stars for being the worst. You win.
1: Oh yeah. Nintendo's Mario Kart's like that, that too. You're in first yeah. place, you're crushing, and then blue shell. Blue shell. <laughs> yeah,
0: Mario Kart is like, oh here's a blue shell. If you get penalized for doing it's it's really Mario Kart may be the impetus of socialism among America's youth because you get punished (laughs) for doing better and you get The most fun when
1: you're mediocre or even bad you get the best items
0: yeah exactly but if you excel at it you just you get coins and you get hit with a blue shell every 30 seconds it's a terrible I mean it's still fun somehow but it's a terrible little mechanic but I guess without it people would just speed away forever you'd have runaway capitalism that's the message
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we've sorted that out
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, you're you're an epiphany guy. What is your absolute strangest belief?
1: Everything is going to be fine. It's already great.
0: (laughs) That's true. But like the, um, okay, the one that's hardest to articulate and make people understand.
1: Oh, man, you got to like, warm me up first.
0: No, no, no. We just, you know, (laughs) like lions don't need a warm up before they sprint after a gazelle. They just go.
1: Okay the I, strangest the strangest epiphany to or hardest to describe the strangest
0: thing that you believe that it's hardest to articulate to other people
1: shoot well it could be the idea that we're all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively through infinite perspectives
0: yes okay that's a pretty good one i've heard that one before that's a very sort of um Uh, vedic philosophy sort of idea new agey sort of idea um i can swing with
1: that is experienceable
0: right it's we're all one consciousness because uh we can all say i am which is what god says i am you all say i i there's only one i there's only one everything as the
1: song says everything is everything that's one of my favorite epiphanies too
0: Everything is everything. Did you get some of your epiphanies on psychedelic substances? Are these just meditation? Are they life experiences?
1: Oh, a healthy mix of all three.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What have you, do you still do psychedelics to this day? Or are you, is that something from your past or
1: God? No, (laughs) (laughs) I like my life now. So, like, why would I want to open the interdimensional portal and pull out a different version of myself when this one's going so well?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does. There's a trend. Even Terrence McKenna, you know, he got a, he was a bit of a fraud in his later years because he would talk about this stuff, but his, he sort of stopped taking anything, um, as he got older because, and he, he addressed this a few times in his, I guess you call them lectures. He said, well, you know, you climb Mount Everest, you don't just keep climbing it over and over again. You just, you sort of reflect on what happened. You don't need to do it ad infinitum. He said, but I do feel a bit like I'm a fraudster because I'm coming out here and I haven't taken DMT in 30 years or whatever, um, because it was just too much. He said, "If you know, at some point you have to you have to stop. Um, And I think that's probably correct. Like maybe you need to do it once. I don't know if you need to do it, but if you're going to do it, maybe do it a few times.
1: And well, then- yeah, they, they begin to suggest their own disuse at a point. And then if you just keep going, uh, you know, chasing the dragon, yeah, they, you melt.
0: That is the thing that the psychedelics are different from the other drugs in that they they sort of tell you to stop doing it after a while. Is what people report. Like just hey, if you do more, you're going to be worse off. You know, and there's sort of, sort of like a natural endpoint to that drug uh, lifestyle. That there isn't, would say.
1: I just had a, a okay. conversation with my friend, Hakan. He's a psychedelic visionary artist out of Turkey. Mm-hmm. And he shared this incredible story where, so he's had like an up and down in and out relationship with psychedelics for his whole life and career pretty much. But he was using this like analog uh, ketamine research chemical that was legal uh-huh. at the time as these yep. research chemicals often are. Cause yeah, the way the law works there, made illegal molecularly. So if you invent something new, but it still has an effect, you can get away with it for a while. You and, change
0: one little thing on the end of the polymer chain and it's a new drug and now it's legal. It's slightly different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, he's having these like crazy instant manifestation type experiences. thoughts become reality right away. Full on like temporary God mode. Type thing, but he kept pushing it, kept taking more, kept going into the hole, <laughs> the K hole, and uh, like par- I think one of the reasons why you can't just keep doing this stuff is because there's no free lunch in nature, and if you're taking in that type of uh, like it's an energy thing, you're getting so much energy out of this substance, burning it like a fuel, but it's more as if you're taking a loan out, and eventually you have to the the bill comes due with interest and. He found himself in prison in a maximum security Turkey facility for stuff that he didn't actually do, but it looked like was his fault. And, you know, that was his dark night of the soul, the bill coming and uh, do. But the reason I'm talking about it is because it's one of my favorite episodes I've ever had in the talk that he, or the story that he told about it and being in prison and getting dream guides coming to him and showing him how to do Tantra to self-liberate from his, you know, darkness and, and imprisonment that he has this enlightenment experience, this opening, finds the eternal present. And uh, next day he's like released from prison or just dropped. Never. Because it showed our external world is really just a bonds to our internal world that you know if you're if you're spiritually in prison you'll find yourself restricted or even imprisoned externally but that can shift just as quickly as you get yourself out of it
0: yeah like um the uh that that's even you know like in the bible paul's in prison and then but he's so spiritually liberated that the doors just fling open and he's able to escape but to prevent the jailer from killing himself from losing the prisoner he stays but like it was sort of like the same idea. Like he's so spiritually free that it had to be physically free. And by the same token, if you get spiritually in bondage to something like a drug or whatever, you eventually end up often in physical bondage. And so the two go tightly together. Yeah, I've that, seen that. that I've, yeah, I've seen that many times.
1: I think that that description is a good way to understand how meditation and practices like that can actually liberate you from time because mm. it seems counterintuitive most people myself included unless they and i have a good practice or a perfect practice but i also don't feel super restricted by time in my life but a lot of people are like i i can't do that because i don't have time for it i can't take 10 minutes or 20 or 30 minutes out of my day to sit and do nothing but be internal and breathe but right. that experience of giving yourself space where there's no requirement nothing has to be a certain way there's no pressure you're going into the your your internal world and expanding it with each breath, that time is super subjective. And we all know that it, you know innately, but we don't really have a way to describe it within the confines of time as we share in our consensus reality. But I think that when you give yourself that space internally, you actually find yourself having more time in the day, like the experience of time is less restricted. You find yourself getting more done, even though you spent the 20 or 30 minutes as if you had an extra hour or two in the day. It's very hard to articulate because it doesn't it doesn't add up mathematically. But I think that mm-hmm. it's true.
0: Yeah, well, I think part of that is like you just a lot of your busyness is well, a lot of most people's business busyness is illusory and they think that they're more busy than they are. And so if you you have this thing, like if I stop for 30 minutes everything will fall apart and it's not true and when you give yourself that space and you learn like oh that isn't true i have more time than i think you get less stress about the world and your life and the environment then you start to chill out and then you have more then you i don't know if you have more time but it certainly you seem you're you're aware of the time you have more for sure
1: you're freed from time as a bondage yeah. becomes more of a resource rather than a a limitation something like that
0: Yeah, it's, it's something, it's definitely something like that, which is the primary, like, even if you're not going to meditate, just like spend 30 minutes doing, doing something you like to do, like it's a hobby, just take time to be like, I don't have to do something right now, productive, quote unquote, you know, I can just be over here, whatever it is, drawing, playing music, something.
1: Yeah, that's world. why when someone tells me, Oh, you're busy, so I didn't invite you to this, I'm just like, How dare you? I am not busy. I refuse right. to, I would do not accept that label.
0: <laughs> I refuse to accept busy. And um, people used to say that all the time in grad school like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And there, I had this one professor that would just go, Everyone is busy. It doesn't matter. Like, what, so who cares? And he would just throw that down every time. Uh, it was never an excuse, but it sort of becomes an excuse to not do things for it becomes an excuse to really not live your your busyness you know like you have to you're you're you get programmed with this whole schedule of like i have to do this 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 and this and it sucks all the um you might call the spirit out of things the ability to like freely just like hey let's go do this you know like live
1: in the moment yeah, it's like you're accepting slave consciousness whenever you're like, I'm too busy for this or that. You'll find a way if you just drop that particular belief, it will help a lot. In fact, one of the things that is so meaningful for me in life is how I've been able to learn about the belief systems that we hold and what the, especially about ourselves and how limiting beliefs literally limit our vitality or actual energy to do things
0: oh yeah like it's it's um if you think you can't i don't like um if you think you can't do some sort of exercise for example because your knees are bad or your back or something and then you don't do it and then you can then your body continues to get worse whereas if you say i think i can then you go out there and maybe it hurts for a minute, but then you get better at it. And so it actually, it it really does like control the outcome of your life in a very practical way that's easy to see. But I think what you're talking about, it does that even beyond that sort of practical level. Um, It can dictate how your life goes.
1: You're sort it of, does. Yeah. yeah. So, and the incredible thing is that our, like if, if it's your knee or your ankle, or your hip or whatever part of the body it is that there's no injury or dis-ease that is just a random thing happening to you or your body having a problem. It's always a message from your body about where your belief systems are in conflict with your potential. So for example, in the, you're very familiar with the chakras as a conceptualization.
0: I, I am. I couldn't, I couldn't name all of seven of them. If you put a, I might, if you could put a gun to my head, but other than a gun to my head, I don't think I would get. Okay. Crown, sacral, uh, root, the heart, the one in the, the one in the middle there. And then the other one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll only shoot you in the leg.
0: Okay. Okay. I got, I got, I got, I passed a little bit.
1: (laughs) So, but the root chakra, it is our groundedness in a way it's our it's like the furnace of our body where our energy is welling up from you know it's
0: like in your tailbone isn't it
1: when it's yeah yeah you? it's the very bottom like where your legs are connecting to your hips so it's kind yeah. of that whole region of like and there's some overlap it's not a that's right. why i call it a conceptual system i don't mean it's literal but a root as the energy generation system that it is the sacral has something to do with energy generation too but one of the types of beliefs that can get hung up in the root is back to the whole busy idea Mm -hmm. that if you're the type of person who is always like going over your to-do list in your head and thinking about all the stuff that you need to get done today or else you suck. Right. Yep.
0: Yep. I know. I know many people like this.
1: Yeah. Well, it's why we have so many hip replacements in the Western world is because people are really caught up in this. It's like the whole, no pain, no gain mentality where what, like the most common thing in people's root chakra is this idea that if I'm not working myself to the point of burnout and misery, then I'm not productive enough. And if that type of belief is in you, even at an unconscious level, and you're torturing yourself with your to-do list and never feeling good enough, one of the things that the body will do to mirror that belief is you'll have trouble getting a good night's sleep. Maybe even to the point of insomnia, you might just wake up earlier than you would want to for being fully rested and find you can't go back to sleep, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's your body is basically creating the circumstances where you feel worn down and burned out perpetually so that you can fulfill that belief of like, well, if I'm feeling raggedy, then I must be trying hard enough. And you'll just get stuck in that as like a negative feedback loop.
0: Yeah. Or like sciatica. I think it manifests sometimes in like sciatica or um, like we were saying, hip pain, maybe knee pain. Because the Western world does have like so much of that and like hip replacements, knee replacement. And they also the highest level of physical inactivity. Like it doesn't really go together. Right. If if it was just a physical thing, like it wouldn't, (laughs) those things wouldn't. There's no reason so many people's hips should be worn out. So many people are not like I don't know doing gymnastics, you know. They're they're sitting at their desk, and your hip should be pretty fine. You might get overweight sitting at your desk all day. Heart problems make more sense, but like hip people just can't move. They can't they can't sit up. They get back trouble. They get, and it's really interesting to think of it from that perspective. Like this is a a, a psycho emotional problem primarily, and it won't be fixed until you step back from fix, whatever that is.
1: Yeah. Address the belief systems that are perpetuating the issue because (laughs) it's, and that
0: doesn't mean there isn't like, if you took an MRI, it doesn't mean you wouldn't find some problem.
1: Oh, sure. But what's amazing is the, the structural problem can resolve itself way quicker than people realize. Oh yeah. I tell this story a lot, but it's one of my favorites from working with clients doing biofield tuning where i was working with this guy i think he was like 65 or something and he had uh he had leg length discrepancy of about six inches uh-huh. so that's how i know far a guy like this
0: i call him i only remember his name's joey because i don't remember anybody's name but he has to hop a little bit like a kangaroo <laughs> and so i said oh i only remember people's name if they have a disability that i can associate with their name that's the only way i've ever been able to do it
1: it's a good But way yeah, Joey, it. Joey, the
0: hopper, the kangaroo.
1: Well, I did a tuning for this guy and we figured out the type of beliefs that were causing that root imbalance. And, you know, I, I believe it's been a long time, but I believe it has something to do with what we've been talking about now. Uh, the to-do list and the no pain, no gain type of mentality. And he went to his Cairo three days later and the guy that he was seeing was like, what did you do? Your legs are the same length. <laughs> Yeah. And it was just the it was just working on the energy mental side and the physical thing resolved itself pretty much right away. And I see stuff like that very common uh, with energy work. That's what makes it such an effective modality because you're really addressing the root cause rather than just symptoms.
0: So is this something you can charge for? Because I need other things in my life I can charge for that don't require like a medical license.
1: I totally charge for it.
0: Excellent. You have to teach me how to do this, so that I can go. Around. I've always want. I've always wanted. I've never achieved to specialize in things that may or may be adjacent to medicine, but don't require a license or any sort of regulatory oversight. That's always been like my dream, is to have like five or six of those. I've never succeeded at doing it. I thought about. I I, I met a lady one time. She was like, "I'll teach you Reiki," and I was like, "That'd be cool." And then she was like, "Here's a horse, and if you put your hands over the horse, you can, I was like, "I don't, I don't know what's happening." She wanted to do like horse reiki, and I don't, I wasn't prepared to jump from nothing into horses, and so it was just a bit much for me. But uh, if all I need is a tuning fork, and and something, then that's what I then I need to learn how to do this skill also because well, it I sounds it think, like she got a backwards. It like I'm not, I wouldn't just be being a there are people in this space that are just taking your money and shysters.
1: Oh, for I sure. wouldn't be doing yeah.
0: that because I would I believe it would actually work. But, you know, st- still, I would be I'd be like halfway shyster, halfway. real. You know. Well,
1: I think she just was backwards. And really, you don't want to do Reiki on the horse starting out. You want the horse to do Reiki on you. They're very good at it.
0: You know, oh, here's the thing. Do you know she actually used that exact that exact sentence? You don't want, and then I then I said I think I think I'm I think I can't
1: I'm out I don't know
0: how to do. She used that exact sentence. She said you don't want. She said the way this works is you don't want to do reiki on the horse. You want the horse to do reiki on you. And I said I don't. I don't know if I can. I'm not that. I don't know this
1: horse. I said I'm not
0: that level. I'm not that level. And then she told me about some crystals. And then I I. Uh, commented on her Dreamcatcher collection, and then I went home. And <laughs> you know, so, so that was that was my only foray into learning energy healing.
1: Well, Ricky uh, but, got Ricky was like a foot in the door for me to what I do now. But really,
0: I mean, I I think I think it is there is something to it for sure because I've known people that have had really good results with it. But I've also never been able to get into it myself.
1: Well, for me, it was just a byproduct of being the trippy festival kid that I was. Mm -hmm. I was like a rave shaman walking around with big crystal wands. And when somebody was starting to get a tummy ache from their drugs, I could lay hands on them and they would feel better and uh, or crystals around their head and their headache would go away, that type of thing. So that was my entry point to know that there was something to it, but still kind of just treating symptoms in that realm. I wouldn't say that's the case for everyone who practices Reiki. I'm sure there's really, really adept, highly psychic practitioners out there. But for me, it wasn't something I got like attuned to or certified in. It was I could just kind of feel the vibe. And I went with that. But, you know, like in terms of you picking up tuning forks and learning how to do it, it's not that it does. It's actually not that huge of a learning curve, in my opinion. I sure. had a client yesterday, a listener of my show who we were starting the session and he told me he had gotten himself a tuning fork or a few forks. And he was at the skateboard park and he met a random person there who was having trouble with uh, pain in their ankle from some old injury that they had received like 12 years prior. And this guy who uh, was my client, he he hadn't done much with forks yet. You know, he was just kind of picking them up and practicing and, and messing around. but. He said he used the a tuning fork on this guy's ankle for 15 minutes. And the next time he saw him three days later, he was like, my ankle is better. It doesn't hurt anymore. It's like fixed. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that's very possible. <laughs> it's very possible. But then there's like the deeper level of the practice where you learn the language of the anatomy of your energy field. The human energy field has a specific anatomy just like your organ system and the way your body's laid out. And there can be some variation a little bit from person to person. Of course, what stuck energy in one region means for one person might be a different interpretation for another person, but it's always like thematically similar. And the chakra system is a very good baseline way to conceive of what might be where Right. But I I just picked up the book, tuning the human biofield by Eileen day McCusick. And she has a second book called Electric Body, Electric Health. I read those books, started, bought some tuning forks, started messing around on some friends and family, and then started taking on, you know, listeners to practice on them for uh, a time. And then eventually I felt competent enough to offer it as a service. And right. my ability has expanded from there. Uh, but I, like I said, dude. Just picked up some forks recently and was able to create a a lasting result for somebody who didn't even know about the method. So the belief factor wasn't necessarily there very strong, but it's doable. It's very possible. But
0: I was going to ask you that. Do you, like do you think? Because there's I hear two schools of thought on this. Some people say it's it's like a it's like a frequency, like a mechanic, like a there's a mechanism and it's physical, it's physics somehow. And other people said, oh. The tuning forks and stuff are just belief aids. It's actually just the the belief, the faith that you have, and these things help you believe it's happening. And so it's like a placebo effect. Is is these? Do you think it is? It is actually like the the there's something about the frequencies in the air propagating that are resonating with the body and causing healing, or do you think it is just this helps you believe something is happening? So it gets rid of that belief that's hurting you and then you, your body heals that way. Yes. Both.
1: (laughs) I'm totally a bothist about that question. Okay. The thing about especially medical, the science trademark is they just will like, they'll discover something and they'll give it a name. And now we call it the placebo effect. And okay, we've got that figured out. But did we really figure that out, or did we just? Yeah, naming
0: it? is a way. Naming is a very powerful thing. When you name it's something,
1: often you, just dismissive. Whenever it's they
0: dismissive, name it. it's a way to control things. It's a way to limit what you know about something and to put it in a box. It's a very. I'm. I've been trying. I've been. I've been meditating on the idea of like naming and names for a while. I haven't reached any firm conclusions, but there's something very. You know, like in exorcisms, they, they always say like, oh, if you figure out the demon's name, you can get rid of it. But until you do that, then you don't know. You don't really have any control over it. Very well, interesting. That's, a, that's another
1: subject that might be fun to broach. Yeah, okay. On uh, I think it's called like onomatology or something like that. It's a mm-hmm. magic of names. But going back to that question of like, is it belief or is it something physical and concrete? And me saying it's both. Well, the belief factor is definitely powerful. I find that the results are better for people who have a general awareness of what biofield tuning is about and how it works that they, because I think your body has an innate intelligence and that the body's intelligence can cooperate with your conscious mind. And if your body knows what you're doing and why you're trying to do it, then it will help the process along. And that's, so that's a, a big factor. And also like, With the forks being just kind of like a tool for your confidence and all that. I think that's true. You can even almost look at them like training wheels to a degree, because as I've progressed with doing biofield toning, if I really wanted to, I could do a whole session just with my voice and my hands that like Mm -hmm. I I get the same cue in my body and uh, like intuitive signals. If I put my hand where the stuck energy is at versus if I put a fork there. So the forks are a tool i like them they yeah. they're, they're a fun aesthetic you know and but then on the other hand there is a physical positive benefit to coherent sound well, my yeah. favorite example to use to illustrate this is how have you ever seen what happens when you put a bunch of metronomes in a room together and set them all off at different times
0: yeah they all they all will sync up after a while yeah why
1: do you think that is
0: uh well the conventional answer would be a, that there is a, um, that one beat, so the the sound is the mechanical wave propagating through the air and compression and refraction. And so that is slowing down the ones that are faster and speeding and allowing the, the ones that are slower to make up time. And so eventually they all sync up is sort of how that's happening. But that happens. I like on, that.
1: I've actually not heard of that described that way, but to me, that, that doesn't even rule out the it as an example honestly
0: yeah no i think the physical and the spirit like i think the spiritual i think the physical is a shadow of the spiritual really like we we use that all the time in language like oh you know we had a lot of friction in our relationship or something like friction is a very physical term it's things rubbing against each other they're not gliding smoothly but yet it makes total sense and i think i think actually the the spiritual relationship aspect comes first and then what we see in the physical world is a reflection of that or like, you know, I had a lot of energy and then there's like physical energy and like there's how you feel. Uh, there's momentum. Once you get in a habit, you know, it's hard to break the habit. Once an object is in motion, it's hard to get it to stop moving. So I think I think that very much the, my background is in physics, actually, which is why I always go to that. But um, I think that the physics. Is a is. The most gross and uh, not in an ugly way, but like large and less refined way of of viewing spiritual realities is in the physical.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. I would concur with that. The body is the shadow. When people say shadow work, (laughs) it doesn't mean like just get dark. It means work on your somatic coherence. You know, improve your body health and the psyche. That's why I think we have a mind, body, spirit uh, as a cooperative system. If one area yeah. is stuck, then you can work on another area and get yourself unstuck in the first area. So, with the example of the metronomes, I think that the way you described it is actually so awesome. I'm going to like definitely put a post-it note in my mind about that for future mm-hmm. future reference to bring that up cuz it, it I think that applies to how sound can work for the body as well. But the way I describe it is that whenever you have dissonance and coherence in the same space, then the dissonance trains itself to the coherence rather than the coherence getting dissonant. Yeah. And like, you just think of any time where uh, people are kind of like, you know, hanging out and they're maybe in the dumps, not in a good mood. There's like you said, friction. And then that one person comes in, who's uh, an energy donor rather than an energy sucker. And all of a sudden everybody's like, yeah, Ah, and everyone's brought up to that level. Yeah. And, you know, if, if everybody's dissonant and somebody has like intentional coherent negativity, they can bring other people down to their level. So it can work that way. It can have coherence and sort of a um, a bad intention way as well. I think we see that like in terms of conspiracy in the world. That's what the media is. There's a coherent negative messaging being put out that. It bring it makes the people who are not internally consistent, easily entrained to that negative coherence. And then they all kind of lock step together. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's how the physical aspect of sound can apply to helping the body is that if the body has dissonance in its frequencies, because all of your organ systems, every aspect of your body has a energetic frequency to it. There's an oscillatory rate. Going on yeah. on the, you know, your physics guy, you could probably tell me more about it than I could say. But that co- tuning forks, what makes them effective is that they are a coherent sound, and so I think that that's partially why, like, maybe four hundred and forty isn't such a healthy frequency, is because mm-hmm. a lot a lot of the tones that are derived from four hundred and forty being the A note actually puts you into like decimal fractional type of frequencies right. rather than whole numbers. And that might uh-huh. sound arbitrary or whatever, but when you you know there's there's transcendental numbers in math, there's universal oh, constants yeah. and, and consistency. So having, I think that it's reasonable to assert that the reason why the four hundred and forty is such a dissonance type of tuning is because a lot of the notes that are coming out of it are actually not whole; they're not coherent. So forks yep. tuning forks, they Correct. are coherent sound. Your body can entrain to that. So even without the knowledge of the biofield anatomy or the full skill set to do a proper overhaul on somebody's energy field you can improve things like when i first started out i just had a bad shoulder injury that wouldn't get better i didn't really know much about this i heard Eileen on a podcast and i thought wow well, i got like a strong internal <laughs> signal like uh, go look into this do this so i got one of her forks and without any real knowledge of how it worked i just started using it on the shoulder injury and it got better and yeah. then my life changed, and I wound up <laughs> divorced a few months later because that relationship was the actual root cause of the physical injury. Not uh-huh. to blame that relationship, but it was my posture in that relationship playing the role of the 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 good guy versus the bad gal. You know, the uh-huh. victimized empath versus the bullying vampire, that type of thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I did I realized that I was in that role was why. I was feeling this pain in my shoulder was because uh. I was accepting that as an identity, and I was doing it because you know I hadn't quite realized that it was a victimhood posture. I had convinced myself that it was actually the the heroic posture. I'm the good guy. I'm helping this person who needs help, who's like you know emotionally disturbed and <laughs> and all that. But no, no. At any point, whenever you're in that sort of dynamic, you know, look at your life. If you feel like there's somebody that's kind of like a vampiric to you, are you actually getting some sort of currency out of your victimhood where you look at yourself as the good guy? And that's why you, that's what you feel like is the, the reason why you don't have a boundary with that relationship. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Like the, um. I was thinking when you were talking about like how you, you built up confidence to go back earlier with, and you said the tuning fork was like a, was like, a, I, 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 on this show, I relate things a lot back to the Bible. And you see that sort of in the, in the life of Jesus, when he starts out doing his miracles, he starts out using uh, some sort of like AIDS in the earlier chapters. Like he'll put mud on someone's eyes before he cures them of blindness. And then he does his most challenging ones, like reattaching an amputated body part in here, like, Right at the end, almost like he gets more confident in what he's doing as he goes on, and so he starts out with these like little aids, and he's like, put the mud on or whatever.
1: I never thought about it that way. That's cool. I like that. Yeah,
0: and then toward the end, he's like, he's like, just you know, do it, you know. And there's some, yeah, there's some. I mean, the the whole thing, it doesn't. It's not a linear progression because I would say like walking on water is pretty intense, even though that was sort of in the middle, uh, (laughs) of of a of a of a. of a miracle. But I do think like there's, um, you know, even if you're the most Orthodox Christian, if you, if you accept Jesus as humanity too, then there has to be some, because humanity involves progression. So there's, there's like, he would also have a sort of like confidence curve. Maybe. I don't know. But I, that was an interesting idea. Like you, you get, as you get more confident, you need the tools less, maybe. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, I consider the New Testament to have all sorts of truth allegorized in it. And right. that's definitely one. That's a great example that I'm going to hold on to that one, too. So thank you for that. The progression aspect of his abilities.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, like I think I think uh, Christianity has uh, has emphasized his divinity to the point of diminishing his humanity, like because humanity involves involve certain things and you can be like, well, I think people have it hard to square those two things. That is sort of the paradox of what's on offer in the story is like, how are these two squared? You got to figure that out.
1: Um, Yeah. I think the conflict really arises from trying to figure out what's the literal historical truth as mm -hmm. opposed to just taking it for the multi-layered allegory that it is where all of a sudden there's way more value in it. If you can take it allegorically, because now you can learn about nature. You can learn about the astrotheology aspect. There's many, many layers to it in the, in the allegorical sense. But if it's, as soon as you're like trying to hash out what the historical truth is there, now you have reason to fight with other people who have a different take. So that's where I sit with the Bible. I I don't make any assertions about any historicity. <laughs> In Mm -hmm, fact, mm -hmm. like I have lots of reason to think that it's not a historical text, but I actually think it's more beneficial to humanity as a story than as a history.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, What did so in the you were talking, you brought up astro like astro. uh, What did you say? The word astro Astro
1: theology.
0: Yeah. Astro theology. Uh, Are you familiar with the secret Sun?
1: Yeah. Chris Knowles.
0: Yeah, Chris Knowles. What do you think about his his stuff? Because some of it is very good. And then but he 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 lays it out in such a way that he's I think that he's like 50% right, 20% schizo, and 30% experiencing pareidolia where he's seeing faces that there aren't there. But that 50% that he's on about, he makes some really good points. Like NASA does do all of its stuff. On ancient pagan holidays. And when I was like, when I was like looking at that, I was like, that is very strange. When he first brought that to my attention, he's like, look at all their launches. Like, this is on like the feast day of Jupiter. This is on the, the whatever of Venus. And I was like, and it's like every single time that that's very, that was a very um, eye opening revelation to me. And I've always kept him since he revealed that to me as like, guy that probably knows something, even if I don't quite understand it.
1: So I, I can't speak to Knowles' work in any specifics. My familiarity yeah. with him is just enjoying him when he goes on my favorite podcasts over the many years yeah. that he's been making the circuit. Um, Well, I've read a couple of his books, too. So, yeah, the, I, I the, like what him. Is you know, and American I'm, Midnight? you can't always you, you, you shouldn't agree with everything anybody thinks or says anyway. Right. Um, the so. Thing about pareidolia is, I think that that's actually, it's it's not something that's just made up. (laughs) I think I don't either.
0: I was gonna say, like, I uh, think, like, you're that's another way of naming something to dismiss it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's like you see a face in a toast, like, well, maybe there is a face in this toast, Mr. (laughs) Scientist. Maybe my toast has a face.
1: Yeah, the dismissive aspect is how the materialist worldview refuses to accept that there's meaning in everything. That meaning mm-hmm. is the grounds of existence, not something that we just create and event. I mean, yeah, we can. We can make up meanings that, that maybe other people don't see or that there's not any actual like conclusive observable reality to, but what where the meaning is most meaningful is the self-evident <laughs> self-evident truth. Like it, what helped for me in life was a big step up for my life was when I started interpreting the experiences I was having as if I was doing a dream interpretation and Mm -hmm. it actually Mm -hmm. applied that like oh okay so my life is my psyche externalized and every experience that's coming to me is something from my inner world seeking some kind of resolution or providing me with the the benefit of how that inner world configuration is harmonious and so Mm -hmm. when you brought up like NASA doing everything that they do on pagan holidays. The thing is that I mean my my personal my personal perspective is that there's in a there's a priest class behind the scenes of society. And they're and they're connected to
0: the stars as the priest cast always is. The priest cast is always connected to the reading of the stars.
1: Yes, yes. From time immemorial,
0: yeah.
1: Like if you go all the way back to ancient Sumeria, the priests of the sumerian babylonian time period they did this practice called lumashi which yep. is you know about this i've heard uh, re- refresh okay cool <laughs> cuz <'Cause> i <laughs> so, could have
0: i could have brought up the word lumashi from my from my depths but i couldn't have told you what it was
1: i got this term from uh, my friend john McHugh, who's a uh, mm-hmm. he researches like petroglyphs and he's like his two prongs are like native american petroglyphs and middle east linguistics so pretty right. interesting divergences like he's a he's a cuneiform expert which right. i find a lot of value in that even though i'm not actually sold that cuneiform the artifacts are as old as we're told i think mm-hmm. they might mm-hmm. not be but that aside the idea of lumashi involves so okay you know about astrotheology, right? That the yes all, all of the scriptures, all of the mythologies are contained in the relationships between stars and constellations and that those stories derive from that. Well, how that happens is in the back in the day, the the BC days and probably for a long time after Like, I I think the Greeks continued this practice. The Romans continued this practice. I think it even still continues today somehow, some way. But maybe that the stars are more like Hollywood movies rather than the actual sky above. And what would happen is like, okay, so we have uh, examples of mythological characters or stories where there's a bunch of different examples of the same character or different Uh versions of the same story. And how, right. how does that happen? How do we get a bunch of divergent examples? Like, like Hercules, even at- is,
0: Hercules and St. Michael, very similar sort of
1: archetype. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. I mean, even in the Bible, right? Right. How, how many times is Jesus born in the Bible?
0: Well, his birth is covered in the Gospels.
1: Of Luke and, and of Matthew.
0: Right. Luke and Matthew. And Mark skips it and John skips it. Right. But, so
1: why did Luke and Matthew have two different stories for the birth of Jesus, where there's details, right, Luke, some details Luke are the same and some the, details uh, are totally different.
0: Yeah, Luke, go, if I if I don't have them cross, Luke starts with the wise men coming from the east and uh, Matthew uh, does not talk about the wise men and talks about uh, the shepherds mostly.
1: I couldn't without my notes in front of me, I couldn't tell you all the differences exactly. But the fact that there are two different accounts should raise a flag of like, okay, maybe there's (laughs) maybe this isn't a history we're reading. And when okay, so what the ancient priest class would do is they would have the names of the constellations. They'd have the names of the stars. They're all mapped out. And then they would look at puns that exist so like a big secret to the priestcraft is the punniness of it all Mm -hmm. so how a word might inside a word encode multiple other words or if you like break it apart it's called the green language or the language of the birds or language of the bards where you instead of just taking on the intended culturally accepted left brain definition you're also looking at a word or phrase through your right brain through your creativity to see like well what else is encoded in there like when we say today's saturday it's the weekend well why are we saying that we're getting the week end of the deal you know yeah it's like For days power. of the week
0: days of yeah. the week can also be like days d-a-z of the w-e-a-k exactly the days of the week like, cause the, the week are the slaves are stuck in the, in the circle of the, of the weekday working cycle, like the nine to five. So it's the days of the week. And then the, so you can see that it's like, English is a very sort of uh, magical
1: crafted language. It is a hundred percent a magical language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people will take that as like the example we just gave and be like, well, English is a slave language, obviously meant to weaken you, but I think it's a highly magical language that is very empowering, but you just have to know that they're, you know, you have to know how to draw from the depths below the surface, right? Some people get kind of crazy with it. Like they'll, you know, instead of saying weekend, they'll be like, it's the strong front. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And they'll they'll re, they'll reimagine a bunch of words and exactly like instead of the morning, like a morning period, you're, it's the, uh, the rising. And I'm all for that. I just can't personally communicate with people very well when I start doing that too much. So. I'm for
0: it too. I just don't have the the personal tenacity to keep that up and like yeah, yeah, check exactly. myself every day and say, like, yeah, i not. I don't. I don't when you have. Say the morning like jer- fuck.
1: I didn't mean to say morning.
0: I meant to say <laughs> rising. I meant to say uh, yeah, yeah. I it can I get a little
1: exhausting, and I don't think that. I think it's. Really, the psychic self-defense is the symbolic literacy. You don't have to necessarily correct yourself all the time. You're not hurting yourself. You know. You know. Intention always energetically trumps the multi-layered potential other meanings. But mm-hmm. that being said, like the synchromysticism mysticism that Chris Knowles is into is very much derived out of this idea of the green language and seeing the other potential meanings that are hidden within the overt, seemingly intended meaning. And the idea of Lumashi, the scripture in the stars, star writing is what Lumashi means. Literally, the ancient priests would look at the constellations. They would look at the possible puns in the relationship between the words, and they would derive a story out of whatever they're seeing in the current stellar tableau, what was visible in the night sky at that moment. And, you know, with this is the type of thing I like to go into in detail and show specific examples of in episodes of my show where I have, you know, the notes prepared and the ability to dig into it very, very deeply. But the fact is that the, the system, it's evolutions derived out of how over time languages change. And so the, the puns encoded their change, or the priests might be taken over by a different empire. And a new language is introduced into their society. They're multilingual, so they're now adding a new layer of possible meanings so that get encoded on top of it by, you know, the puns that are derivable out of the the next language that's introduced. And this wordplay system is how mythology advanced and evolved over time, hundred percent. And I think it's where a lot of our uh, a lot of our so-called ancient history comes from. That when a new king or empire takes over, the first thing they do is they take the priest class hostage and the priest class being also the astronomers of the day. I mean, even Homer, you know, familiar with Homer, the the famous Greek poet, Homer means hostage. (laughs) It's not God's name. And the... The new boss come in and kick out the old boss. They want to establish their divine right of kingship. So what they do is they would employ the a street to come up with a history of our people, our empire, our family lineage, what have you. That you know traces us all the way back to the beginning, back to the Adam or Noah or whoever the mythologically accepted progenitor of humanity was for that culture. And yeah. Then we move on into, you know, the history progresses and progresses. And we have these histories of empires and, and and rulers and whatnot that are complete astrotheology. But that's what we're actually basing our knowledge of history on as if that, that was a literal story that truly happened. But most of it is for sure at least allegory to astrotheology or a euhermism where you apply mythological traits to a historical Character they, uh, so many of the uh, emperors and kings of you know the ancient Roman Empire or Alexander the Great or what have you all share in their mythos the born of a virgin, you know, <laughs> names relating to the sun, etc., etc., and it goes on and on.
0: Well, you know, so, uh, two things one, I try to impress upon people that, like, the, the biblical angels. Are the stars? They're the same thing, like the heavenly host, Like they are, I, and what that means? Yeah, exactly. Yahweh
1: Sabaoth. Sabbath means host. You know, Yahweh Sabaoth is the Lord of the host. Well, who's the host? Is right. the host of the stars? Exactly. Yeah,
0: the heavenly, the heavenly, the heavenly army. That that's the stars in the sky. And somehow the idea was that those stars that you see every night are conscious beings that occasionally can manifest in forms that you can see more locally here on earth. Maybe as a, maybe as one of those quote unquote, biblically accurate angels with all the wings and eyes, maybe as someone in the form of a man, but they would, they would come down and they could have a localized presence, even though they are the star. And that was the idea was that the stars are conscious, which is sort of, and if you think about it, stars have all of the attributes of living beings they have metabolism they burn they take in fuel they burn it they reproduce stars make other stars this is all just main science stuff the stars have have a means of splitting and reproducing um the stars take it i mean like all of the like hallmarks of life you could apply to a star in, in but
1: have you ever thought about how interesting it is that? the same constellations and their exact configuration and spacing star to star from each other of 2000, 3000 years ago are exactly the way the stars look now.
0: Oh yeah. I, I, we yeah. With uh, the earth, so that's, uh, moving.
1: I don't the earth. know.
0: <laughs> the, I don't know the shape the of
1: the earth. Of stars their... Yeah. Yeah. To me, that just, to me, that rules out the uh, the scientific materialist consensus cosmology I'm not saying I know what the universe is or what the Earth is, but uh, at this point, I have zero belief in what we've been told it is. I mean, have you looked at like the stars zoomed in on a on a camera before, and like yeah, the, yeah, the wobbly cymatic pattern oscillation? In, in that fact, they do?
0: in fact, my my where we where I, where I grew up I had a lot of I don't know. If you looked in the sky, you would see things sometimes. Uh, I wrote a post about that on my Substack once a while ago, but. Um, my dad has a great video he took. He was just out one night walking the dog and it looks like a star has come down close and is moving around and it's like pulsating and then it, and then it just goes back away. I don't know what it is, but it's something strange. You know, uh, my dad said he believed it was an angel. I don't know. Maybe but I don't know what the shape of the earth is, but it's definitely not moving. It's as still as can be. It couldn't possibly be doing all these loop to loops and going round and spiraling around the sun in the million bazillion. And then, and then the you sun set a is glass moving around
1: the galactic center. But yeah, yeah all the you know, stars are the exactly where they were thousands of years ago.
0: Yeah. And then you set yeah, a glass okay. of water on a table and it doesn't move at all. It's like, this ridiculous. It's, I don't, I don't know what it is, but that is a ridiculous idea. And people are like, Oh <laughs> no, it's like, no, that's stupid. Like it's, it's, of course it's not moving. It's as still as anything is ever going to be.
1: Don't take away my fantasy star Wars future it, that I'll never actually get to experience.
0: I know everyone's like, we're going go to the, You're not going to Mars. You can't go to Mars. Mars probably isn't a physical place that you could stand on. It's probably, I don't know what it is. I, and I've it's looked not right. so This something.
1: isn't a claim. This isn't a claim, but I, I, I like to imagine that beyond Antarctica, you know, if the ice wall is really what Antarctica is—that circum, you know, the circumference of our the world that we get on our map. <laughs> yeah, I like the possi- I like the idea. I mean, feel free, anybody out there to find a way to disprove this to me. I'll be like, okay, fine, but it's still a fun idea that beyond the beyond Antarctica are extra lands that that's that where the extraterrestrials come from.
0: Mm-hmm. That.
1: Because extraterrestrial
0: just means more land, extra terrestrial extra more terrestrial Earth.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it, like, what I think is fun to imagine is that Mars and Venus could be the sun and the moon of the further out land. Yeah, Interesting. and that further ring from there, maybe Saturn and Jupiter are the sun and moon. Possibly. Mm. I mean, yeah. we know actually that uh, Venus has an occultation cycle that resembles the phases of the moon. Like why? Yes. Why is that? <laughs> You're right. Right. So maybe when they're like, okay, we're going to Mars. Maybe they're going to the land outside of our current land. Interesting. Interesting
0: idea. I don't know. Like I said, I tell people I don't know what the shape is, but it's definitely not moving. It's it's like that's preposterous. It's, that's what I'm at too.
1: I don't need to have any claims about it. I'm happy to not go with the mission. I will
0: claim it still. People are like, you know, like, like if it was not still, (laughs) so many things would not work. You would. It's not. It's
1: crazy to have. I'm with you on the still. Yeah. Stillness makes perfect sense.
0: These motions, you got polar coordinate motion. You got spinning. You got X, Y and Z. You got up, down, and you don't feel any of it ever. That's crazy. That's a crazy, crazy. That would just be. But, you know. But anyway but my other point was so that what is the the angels are the stars and same, and the english is like the angle, angel of, angle Yeah angle again angle angleish, and the, it's and they all about tell the
1: angles this. the stars are making at the current moment that gives you the ability to cast a horoscope or whatever
0: Yeah like and cuz cuz the, and they even tell you this like in the lore like the word anglish uh when like what people say is that when the romans came they took the english slaves they were in slave markets but they all the children were so beautiful they didn't describe them as english but as angels i don't know if that's true or if that's just a nod to the the intrinsic like they're like oh these words are the same wink wink um hmm. and like so so english cuz english is the most advanced language by far that we have the most advanced and people get upset about that and think it's like what chauvinism and like, you know, Oh, you're being racist. Just objectively, it has the most words. It has, it's got the Germanic in it. It's got the French, it's got the Latin. It now has a lot of native American words in it. Like it's the most, it's like the mixed martial arts of languages. It took in all these different languages and made it in this giant thing. And Because you've got those two or three different registers, you can really say some interesting things just in a practical way. Because you can say anything in like, oh, you can say the Germanic, the ghost, the Holy Ghost, or you can, you can go, you can switch over to the Latin and be like the Holy Spirit, the Spiritus. Sort of the same thing, two different inflections. So you've got all these different registers you can operate in. And it is the most like sort of magical crafting language that there is. I don't, I don't know if I buy into this conspiracy that that was done by like whoever pretended to be Shakespeare or whatever, but some <laughs> people say, oh, this was manufactured by people pretending to be Shakespeare. Like I don't go that far, but there's definitely something very interesting about English, which is why it takes over the world. It's like the most, it's not simply that the, the, the English had an empire. It's, it's, um, it's a very interesting language.
1: Yeah, the, I really like, you know, are you familiar with Marty Leeds? No. Oh, he's great. You might, <laughs> maybe you want to talk to him sometime. Yeah. Uh, does he have a of show? Mine, yeah, he does. So his okay. channel is the Gnostic Academy.
0: Okay. Marty Leeds and, Gnostic so Academy. So it's
1: not, it's, not, it's not your typical like truth or pop culture simulation theory, bullshit, Gnosticism. Everything's, you know, it's all a luge prison and... The Archons right. and Demiurge and all that stuff. It's not Gnosis as in what we can actually know about this place that is self-evident truth. And he, Marty is a big Gematria guy. He's a big math guy. And, mm. and that's where he kind of cut his teeth in the content creation space, which he's been in for like a decade now. So he's a total pro. He just moved to uh, my area. So pretty excited about that. We get to hang out. He's Where is your area?
0: If you I'm don't in southwest wanna... Missouri. Oh, Missouri. Missouri. You're over there by uh, the, uh, Topher.
1: Yep, yep. He, Topher. Him and Marty are very close to each other, and they're both about an hour from me.
0: I've been trying to get Topher to come on the show, and he said he would. And then you email him, and he doesn't respond, which is fine. I think he just
1: takes a while to respond. Keep trying. He's a slippery bastard. He, I'm he sure is. he's down. I'm sure yeah, he's yeah. down to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After he sees how much fun we had, he'll he'll want to come on.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I want him, I want him to build a, I, I want him to build me a dome, maybe. I want to know how much it costs first <laughs> because it <laughs> sounds like it might be, but I, but his like dome architecture, I'm very interested in. Uh, I've always so, wanted one of those dome houses, like a little, I've always thought those are really cool, like made out of dirt or earth.
1: Yeah. He's, total legend in that space and then a bunch yeah. of other expertises. But back like to if, uh, I could have,
0: if I could have like five domes connected by earth tunnels, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so, I don't well, think I could I don't think I could afford to pay him what he would ask for, but
1: so why I brought up uh Marty though is uh-huh. he he's really good at demonstrating gematria in a way that is not full schizo, like most gematria is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: oh, this had seven
0: in it. That means that it sounds like 11, which is where the gas station is, which has the Keebler cookies in it, which means there's elves and the elves come from Ireland. And
1: then. And that L starts early. with L, like 11.
0: Yeah. So therefore, uh, President Bush's wife was a woman, a man.
1: A woman, definitely, man. definitely. Right. That's, that's a how man, that baby.
0: That's how that stuff sometimes goes.
1: <laughs> well, one of the thing, one of the things I've learned from him, uh, and we did a recent episode all about pi, the uh, transcendental universal constant that is pi. Yeah, fascinating subject, endless gravy in that. The, the way, of a, way is to do seven divided by twenty two.
0: I'm, I'm sorry. Say that sorry, again.
1: Twenty two so, so, divided by seven. I got that back to front. So pi is 3.14, right? Mm -hmm. And it goes on infinitely. And 22 divided by 7 gives you 3.14. And then a repeating decimal. And beyond the 3.14, it's not the same as like true pi, if you were to calculate it using the circumference of a circle and its radius. But it's the closest you can get with whole numbers and just doing a, a division like that. And the septenary cipher that marty has put forward the, which is it, it's a is one b is two and it goes up like one two three four five six seven six five four three two one and then uh again the other way uh-huh. that's like attaching a number to each letter of the alphabet so in that system uh which is what the bible the english king james version of the bible is encoded with all over riddled with septenary cipher mysteries the number seven if you type it out if you write out the number seven and you add up the value of all of those letters like s-e-v-e-n yeah and you okay. add up the value of the of seven in gematria the va- the gematria value of seven is 22 mm. so it's like baked into our language whether mystically and divinely or intentionally by crafters of the language from the priest class probably a little of both but i tend to think that it's more on the divine side because it's there's too much of it to make to be able to wrap your head around for yeah at some point it gets too much
0: where it's like someone a person couldn't have come up with this
1: you know exactly which is why i think that that the the logos yeah that's why they call uh christ the logos in my opinion because the word
0: made flesh yeah
1: yeah and god created the universe from number and letter numbers and letters i think that that once you get into the the mystical studies like gematria and you see how replete everything is encoding these transcendentals and these like laws of nature through the math in the words we speak it becomes obvious that there's something that's trying to wink wink nudge nudge at us through our expression that it's something inside of us that is always there always present and always speaking to us and it becomes up to us to start paying attention like well what are you trying to tell me and gematria is a good way to start to see that as a as a truth yeah
0: yeah and you know people as much as much as it's not visible westerners are still very much like Western academics is still very much in the realm of numerology and sort of Gematria, but you just only find it in the field of mathematics, which no one looks at. Like physicists and so on are not, they don't really do it. But if you talk to mathematicians, they're you're like, why are you doing this weird thing with math? And they're like, But look at this pattern. Like, but what <laughs> is that for? It's like, I don't know, but look at this pattern. And they just like get really into just finding like if you ever have you ever looked at a graph of the prime numbers plotted like on polar coordinates.
1: You no, would think but like can i google it?
0: I think so you would think that like it would just be random. But actually the prime numbers on a on a polar coordinates form a spiral shape out to infinity. And so there's like there's like um structure even to this apparently random like this well i don't guess it but this apparently non predictable pattern of like where it's cuz you can't predict the next prime number you just sort of have to test them at least we can't yet. And so, but yet there is some underlying structure there beyond our ability to to see. And they do this stuff with every, they'll like assign numbers to, you know, this is one of the criticisms people make of someone like, um, um, Godel, I can never pronounce his name. It's either Godel or Godel.
1: Um, and
0: and he'll be like, Oh, but he just made, he just arbitrarily defined everything in his system. It's like. (laughs) <laughs> and it is sort of like crazy, but that's what, that's what math, they, should, they assign, they make up new value systems and numbers and they like play with them. They're totally still in this whole like gematria of finding patterns and numbers, finding deeper meanings and numbers thing. That's all math. They just have to justify it to the people paying them money by pretending that one day it'll have an application to computers or something. They say, "Oh yeah, well, this is because it's Boolean logic," and they'll go, "Oh okay, here's a thousand, here's ten thousand dollars. Keep going," and they get back with the graph paper. But you, that spirit is still there in in Western, thankfully, in Western academia. If it wasn't for mathematics, Western academia would be almost irredeemable. But we're still well, doing it.
1: There's such a theory. range of what is called math. You know, how yeah. much you, you studied physics? How much of what is taken for? gospel in the world of mainstream science is based on abstract complicated algebraic calculus with no grounding in reality where you're looking at models simulating through models and calling what that model spits out some kind of scientific discovery
0: <laughs> uh, a good bit i mean it's hard to especially say to astrophysics.
1: Especially yeah, astrophysics especially it,
0: astrophysics it's hard to put a number on it but it's a good bit um You know, one of the favorites, I've told this story on the show before, but one of my favorite stories from school was my professor. We were attending this lecture and this guy was up there and he was telling, showing all these results. And he was an old school guy. He was very experimental. You know, there's people fall into two camps, theoretical or experimental physicists. And he was deeply into experimental. He would, he would, he almost did no theory. And he, after the lecture, he stood up and says, but where is your experiment? And he, and the guy answered with this thing. He says, yeah, yeah, but that's a computer model. And he said, well, this is what we did. He said, oh, so you didn't do an experiment. It's on a computer. It's just math. He said, just math. Where's your experiment? And just the whole thing. You know, then he, and there's, so there's still, there is still a beating heart within Western academia that is useful. It's just really being attacked. But there is still, there are still people, and I think you find, you, you find the heart of it in, in mathematics, where they still just, you talk to a mathematician, I was in this class on duality, it was mathematical duality and uh, the professor he was up there he would do this thing and then he would just pause and stare at the blackboard for like 5 minutes like just in silence and then he would turn and say isn't that beautiful? You know he just say isn't that beautiful like, look at this pattern you know so that's still there and and people are still sort of fun- like with pi you know there's like um Euler's identity where like e to the i pi plus 1 is 0 which is sort of a crazy truth that each th- you take the three like constants everybody uh everybody knows like e and i and pi and you put them together and they form they form one it's like it sums it comes out to unity which is crazy uh but it's i true. have not heard of that one yeah e to the i pi is is one is minus one and so it's like the so if you add one to it it's zero you know so these the three main uh like constants, constants in mathematics, you put them together, you get one, which is pretty interesting. And people are like, oh, it's just because of this. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's also like, isn't it interesting that worked out that way? You know, who put that together? Very strange. But so that's still there. It's still going. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, what
1: keeps a lot of mathematicians interested is that they see the divine harmony in it. And maybe they're afraid to call it as such in open forums because the rest of their colleagues at the university will maybe laugh them down or scoff at it. But back oh, to, yeah. to tie everything back to, yeah, you brought up Godel's incompleteness yeah, Godel's. theorem.
0: Yeah. However you pronounce his is, name. I've heard it said so many ways. I don't know what it is. Godel. Godel, 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 Godel Girdle. I've said, I don't know. God, we'll just we'll go with Godel.
1: Godel. We'll just go yeah, with Godell. Incompleteness theorem is that, anything that is encircled any any point or information that is within a circle can only be defined in relation to something outside of the circle yes right i got that right okay so
0: yeah pretty pretty much
1: to tie that into the rest of the conversation and the earth not being a spinning ball flying through the endless vacuum with no meaning in a giant empty void the meaning that we derive in life you know, you were saying the stars are angels or the, you could even like, I would even go so far as to say, maybe we don't need to, I don't know. Right. But maybe we don't need to consider the energies of the stars coming and manifesting as human beings and like stars incarnating as humans, but instead that they represent the full swath of archetypes that exist within the psyche or the mind of God. And so they do incarnate as humans, but They all have play mixed and matched within each and every person, which is evident in the astrology chart of somebody's birth. So if the system that is encircled, which is our realm, you know, the firmament, the dome, whatever, uh, even on a globe, you could look at it this way. If it can only be defined by that, which is outside of it, well, then that necessitates the idea of God, but also it shows you the. It, it it's an example of how mathematically speaking there's a good reason to assert that our meaning can be like meaning here on this earth is understandable through the context or maybe only fully understandable through the context of that which is outside of it the stars and yeah. the sky above
0: which is why religion is always concerned about heaven like people have people have spiritualized the idea of heaven to the point of meaninglessness, like it's some yeah, vague
1: abstractified like, it.
0: Heaven is the sky. It's the same. It's just different words for the same thing. It is the sky. Like the heavens above is the sky.
1: Yeah, you they know? make fun of the term. They're like, "Oh, you believe in the the sky father?"
0: <laughs> like, yes, I do. I believe in. I believe in a man in the sky. Yeah.
1: Well, lots of lots of ancient uh, religious systems or mythologies. The name of the god, the top god, top G, was. A word that also meant sky or heaven at the same right. time.
0: Yeah, like, like Zeus. Uranos. Zeus. Once upon a time, there's some evidence that Zeus just meant the sky, like the sky above the the Zeus above. I don't know what the Greek would be,
1: but <laughs> but well, the the, the it's the you pater, you know, pater is yeah, pattern,
0: yeah, and father, the, yeah, the sky father, the, yeah.
1: The Etruscans who pre- predate the the Italian civilization and. The whole idea of like Zeus and Jupiter, their name for that, that divinity was teen or tinia, which first mm. of all, encodes the idea of 10 interesting yeah. enough, lots to do with the X or the 10, the cross that is replete throughout the universal mythology systems. But the, what's interesting to me about tinia or tin uh, a part oh well on another fun sync with that is in alchemy Jupiter is associated with the metal tin. Sure. Funny enough. The uh the Chinese have a sky father as well in some yeah. of their oldest tradition called Tien. Yeah. So right there you have a, you know and that name basically means heaven. It's the right. the whole heavens is their main god. So you have Tien and Tin or Ten. In two very different parts of the world, but in similar ages of time, to me, that suggests an obvious link between the cultures the Egyptians have. And then you also get a lot of mileage out of looking at things right to left that are normally read left to right and vice versa. Mm. Because the Etruscans actually did write from right to left. So (laughs) if you were looking at the name teen, you might read it as neat or net. The Egyptians have this exact deity. It's a goddess whose purview is wisdom, called Neith or Neith or Net. Mm -hmm. It's probably the root of the Netter, which is the name for nature or the all the gods in combination. So Neith backwards is T N from China, which is and a
0: a net catches all of them. It's a net because it's it's like catches all. It's like you know. It has all of them
1: encompassed in the net. Yeah, if you all all the stars together with lines would look like a big net in the sky. The the Hindus mm -hmm. have the idea of the net of Indra. Who is Indra? Indra is a sky father, lightning, whirlwind, deity. (laughs) It goes on. You basically
0: get a sky father and an earth mother, and that's religion in like the most basic format. Like sky father, earth. And there's a reason for that, which is that the feminine has to be material one because the the etymology like matter is the same as mother mater mother but also because spirit is breath spiritus like inspiration expiration and spirit impregnates matter and that's what makes it alive because when you breathe in spirit goes into the matter and that is what and when matter does not have spirit impregnating it it is not alive it's dead and so the spirit is masculine and the matter is feminine just based on that and that's why there's the sky that's why there's our he- father in heaven has to be a masculine and it that, that doesn't make sense otherwise
1: yeah you nailed it but I also yeah. when you collapse them down you find that it's really one being that is androgynous there the mother is the father I, I, I went and saw I just wanted to know what they're putting in there whenever you're aware of the the universal mystery wisdom tradition mm-hmm. like the, the keys of it the uh the the touchstones of that system you'll find that all of hollywood pretty much is actually re- repeating that system over and over again in allegories dressed up in modern or or fantastical aesthetics <laughs> so i saw the the movie the creator Mm-hmm. which just came out with humongous, obvious Gnostic allegory. But even in that movie, mild spoiler, I don't care though. You probably won't see it or people won't see it, but there's like a character that's the, the father or the maker. Mm-hmm. And then there's the character that's supposed to be his daughter. And then you find mm-hmm. out that like the daughter is actually the maker or the father. So they like the, the exact thing that I was just describing shows up in that movie. how, uh, the secret was that the mother is the father is, you know, and the child all at once. That's the idea of the Trinity and this doctrine that goes on and on. Like the name of uh, Yahweh is a good example of this. You have the four letter tetragrammaton name of God, yad Vavhe, vav that gets transliterated into English modernly as the name Jehovah. But if you transliterate those Hebrew letters differently, which you can, each of those letters could potentially be more than one possible English letter, depending on what you decide to pick and choose. The name of God becomes IEUE, like you, mm. or JEUE, like Jew. So there's the U Potter or the Jew Potter. It's mm. actually the same name as the Tetragrammaton. You have also, the possibility of that Vav instead of being a U, it can be a V, obviously. So, the four letter name of God instead of Jehovah could be transliterated as Eve, I E V E. Eve hmm. in Hebrew means life. In like the Nag Hammadi creation story, the Gnostic texts of the Nag Hammadi, that's actually specifically stated where Eve says that she is her own father and she is her own son, and et cetera, et cetera. Because that's actually like the secret in the doctrine (laughs) that it all resolves down to the mother, father and child, all of the characters in the mythos. And then those three resolve down into being actually one being, which is most perfectly represented by the sun because the sun goes through that phase of uh, creating, destroying, regenerating uh, or preserving it throughout the year. That's the microcosm so i think that the best way to consider astrotheology astrology mythology is that it's one being going through different costumes it's like the sun is an actor changing roles as it goes through different parts of the zodiac or parts of the year and the entirety of the sky and all the constellations and everything they represent are the psychodrama of the inner world or the psyche of the pleroma or all that is and exists, which is the imagination of God or the creator. So it's one being the sky father, the whole sky is the father. But within that being, just like you have multiple possible expressions of yourself, depending on what situation you're in, you might wear a different mask with a like, you know, metaphorically with a different group of people than you would with another group of people. The That's how it works up in the, sky as well there's one being that is transforming itself continually as it progresses through the story or through the spiral of time
0: fascinating fascinating well we've been about an hour and a half which is a good time uh
1: it was thank you for coming
0: thank you for coming on i enjoyed it i am our our listeners to this show said you got to get chance on and i said okay and then i asked tanny to do it to email you because i can't schedule anything my own i've tried to i've tried before i'm not a, a, a business person i don't know how to do business i just ask other people to do business for me uh but hopefully we'll have you this is for people i'm going to give you this recording if you want to put it out on yours that's great
1: totally do yeah i would love to
0: thank you yeah this is the uh, mystical american patriot society podcast uh and uh hopefully we're going to have uh have you on and other people on in the future more uh we have we're just now getting into get we were just doing our own thing for a long time sort of adjacent having no guests on just me basically ranting for 2 hours uh <laughs> you know you over got the and steam
1: for it it's a good time
0: yeah 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 uh so everyone uh uh give me money give chance money find our Patreons or whatever. Do you have anything like that?
1: Got a Patreon and I got a rock fan.
0: Okay. We're going to put all your links in the, in the thing. Uh, click on, on both. Give everyone, give everyone money and uh, everyone have a good day. Uh, we love you all.
1: Awesome. Bye-bye. Thanks, man. People can just find me by searching interverse podcast. Or- yeah. Interverse podcast. I interverse need to say podcast. that. I'm
0: so bad at that. Interverse podcast, interverse podcast with chance garden. Everybody, that's what
1: to do. What Everybody, go.
0: All right. Well, thank you, sir, so much. I'll I'll have this recording sent to you by my people.
1: Thank you, your people, and thank you for having me on. I had a good time.
0: Yeah, I had a good time too. Thank you, sir.